Welcome to the Cross-Border Interview Podcast, a podcast about getting out from behind the keyboard and just talking. Each week, we invite a guest or two to sit down and talk about their life and their work. I'm Christopher Brown, your host, and this is the Cross-Border Interview Podcast featuring Tommy Chung. That first meeting between you and Cheech, what was that like? So when well, was that? Do you remember? Sure. Big time, big time. Because uh, after, uh, we'll, we'll run it down fast. Uh, Bobby, Ch- I mean, the, the little dad in the bachelors, you know, we, we we drove down to L.A. just to, try to get, you know, get recognized, get something with a little daddy, little daddy, he, he could physically was great, but his voice wasn't as professional as, as it should have been. You know, then we, we ran into Bobby Taylor. Bobby Taylor was this phenomenal singer. He's a, he's a legend with Motown still to this day, you know? Um, and so when, when, oh, and then Tommy and Floyd got into a, a beef coming back, and Floyd Sneed, you know, he was a younger brother. He was baby when we started, but now he's like a pussy. I guess, I don't know how old he was, but anyway, he's big, big guy. And Tommy and him got in a big fight coming back, you know, arguing. Tommy could be mean at times, you know. <clears throat> so so Floyd quit the band, ended up going with the Three Dog Night. And, and that he became the drummer of the Three Dog Night. And so we got, we needed a drummer. So we phoned Bobby. Bobby became our friend. And so we phoned Bobby and said, we're looking for a drummer. And Bobby said, hey, man, I can play drums. And so Bobby came down to be our drummer and singer. And so that was the end of Tommy because Tommy couldn't take it. So he quit and, uh, and we ended up with Bobby. And luckily, because we had a club, an after hours club, that was doing okay. But uh, when Bobby came, then also it went crazy, you know, then we really did well. And then, uh, so we got discovered by Motown. Motown came and then, uh, then, so Motown really stole Bobby. They took Bobby. And and then I didn't like being a side man. So I I told Barry Gordy, you know, I I want to become a Barry Gordy. I don't want to work for a Barry Gordy. And so then I ended up coming back. And by that time, we had we had two nightclubs. We had an after hours club, and we had a strip club, and and so I, I started working the lights at the strip club because I, I was without a band, and so then I, I I saw the strip club needed help, and so I wrote some shows for it and turned it into an improvisational club, and then the, we had a straight guy. We had we had everything going. It was a great improv club. And then the straight man quit, and so we needed a new one. And so uh, this mutual friend of ours turned us on to Cheech, and that's where I met Cheech. So I met Cheech, who was writing uh, for a uh, underground newspaper at the time, Poppin. And then uh, so he came down to audition. He came, instead of us auditioning to him, he auditioned us. <laughs> Cheech came down. Well, let me see. Let me see if I want to do this. You know, let me see deliver carpets or have uh, fun with uh, naked girls. Hmm, I have to think about this. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all Cheech and I met. And then when, when Cheech, it, it was incredible. It was a, it was a great meeting because he was, 
It was all ordained. This is all ordained because within uh, a couple of months, you know, the, the, the strip club couldn't make it with the improvisational uh, theater in there. And so my brother fired us all. And so Teach and I were the only ones that stayed together. And, and then we became a, we, we, we put a band together first because that was my thing. You know, I had a yeah. band. And, and, but we never played a, a note. <laughs> we just went out there and did comedy. <clears throat> and as soon as I saw that, that, that was it. Did it, it come easy for you? The comedy, the comedy part? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so easy. Well, you know, I spent years playing in black clubs. And the, the the normal thing was to black clubs always had their comedian. They always had their comic. Yeah, you know, pineapple, sir, pineapple, and well, Red Fox. That's how Red Fox, you know, got his his chops. You know, going doing all the the comedy opening, opening for all these mu- musical acts, and that's what Cheech and I did when we came to L.A. because uh, you know because of my experience with Bobby Taylor that I, I knew all the black clubs would hire and they, they were looking for talent and so Teach and I got work right away and so we worked uh, all, all through LA uh, opening for black acts and then we ended up at the Troubadour uh, opening for, uh, not opening, just our, showcasing our act uh, at a folk club and that was a genius thing man because then, then when Teach and I got together we used to hire folk acts to open for us because the crowd hated them so much. By the time we got on there, they, they would just, they loved us so much. <laughs> <laughs> and the poor folk guys, oh man, they had a hard time. <laughs> but you know, folkies, you know, like anybody. They're, uh, they're just happy to play it? wherever they can get, right? <laughs> oh yeah, they got a gig. Oh great, okay, only for teaching. You know who opened for us one time? Uh, didn't open. Yeah, it was a band. We we had hired uh, Bruce Springsteen. Oh, was was supposed to be the folky, and so Bruce said uh, to the the thing when they had to ask us, "Is it okay if I have my band, you know, open with the band? I know you want a folk singer, but it's okay if you have the band." And apparently they asked us, and we said, "No, no problem." But you no problem. And so the first time the East Street band ever played together was uh, uh, at a Cheech and Chong game. Wow. Bruce, Bruce, yeah, they talk about Clarence, uh, the sax player told me about it one time. He's man, you got to because he, we're at a concert, we're at some big festival and Clarence come over to me, he said, man, you got to hear this. I've been wanting to meet you forever, you know, I want to thank you. We, that's the first gig we ever had. Yeah. Um, during that time, you get a record a deal with uh, a studio to make some comedic albums. Um, and then you get something that every musician, I believe, in America and Canada always wants, a Grammy Award. You win the yeah. Grammy Award in 1973 for your yes. comedic album. Was yeah. that kind of the moment when you went, this is real, I'm doing what I like, I'm doing what I enjoy? Or was it when you were releasing the albums? No, we, by that time, you know, every, once, once we started doing improv, then, then the world opened up, you know, because then life became improv, business became improv, everything became an improvisational thing, you know, 
and, and the, everything became a show. And so what happened when we were playing, everywhere we went, uh, we would eventually become the, the biggest star that this club ever had. And that's what happened with uh, the Troubadour. Uh, we were, at first, we, we had to line up to, to get on in the good spot. So we had to be there at six in the morning for the box office to open at five. And then we would be the first in line. And then we would go on six. And we did that a couple of times. And then the, the, the crowd started asking for us. And so the club started phoning me and say, are you guys coming, you know, are you, you going to be down here tonight? We've got a lot of requests for you. And so, so we, we, that, that's how we, we just used our, the power of our, our, our ability to, to, to get what we wanted, you know. And to get we, on we the Troubadour was huge because the Troubadour has launched so many careers yes. in music and in comedy. So to even yeah. play uh, that stage must have been just a, a joy in the lifetime. Oh, man. Can you imagine Cheech and Chong coming on after uh, folk singers? <laughs> you know, and then and then we're doing all the we're the first ones to do the plot jokes the way we did the, all this crazy. And we there was no hold bar, you know. Because we, we 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 did that doggy bit that used to drive people. When we first did the doggy bit, you know, where Chief and I act like dogs, we smell each other's butt. <laughs> we were at a, a steakhouse in, in, in on the Sunset Strip, Canopos, uh, way down on Sunset. And this is the waitresses when we did that because it was a steakhouse. And people eat their steak, and here next thing you know, Cheech and Chong are on their hands and knees smelling each other's butt. The waitresses would get so embarrassed, they'd run out of the club. They, they would run out, oh, I can't stand it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, Cheech and I. I mean, and then Cheech being Chicano. See, we didn't know he was a Chicano in, in Canada because he never let anybody know. But when we came to L.A., that was our that was our secret sauce, you know, because we did a few gigs and we weren't nothing special. And then when Cheech became the Chicano, oh my God, that's when the Troubadour and everybody else just it just went it blew right through the ceiling, you know. And that's when Lou Adler, you know, he saw us. <clears throat> then, you know, he he never had a comedy uh, thing. In fact, we were turned down by a few uh, comedy. Thing they would just come in, uh, you know, they're like sleazy, you know, like the Eddie Murphy movie, you know, the black yeah. comedian comedy. They're the laugh records. They came to see us one time. They wanted to know if we, we did any more dirty material because that's all they were looking for dirty material. Yeah. But Lou Adler was the one that saw the, 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 the beauty of the Chicano and, and because he grew up in Boyle Heights. And so we, uh, our first record, the first thing we ever did became the biggest thing in comedy for years to this day. Dave's not here. That was our first rehearsal. After we made the deal with Lou, he said, what do you need? I said, well, a little tape recorder to rehearse in. And he got it. And so we got our money and we got a little tape recorder and Cheech and I went into the little mixed down room and he's outside in the, in the blazing sun. It's about 110 degrees outside. I'm in this nice air conditioned uh, studio. He's knocking on the door and I'm going, who is it? <laughs> yeah, it's me, man. Let me in. You know? 
and then I would I would do, I was trying to work the tape recorder and I I did that long pause and then he knocked again and and so I said well I'll start the bit over again I said who is it and I could hear he's annoyed it's me man come on open it. When I heard him being annoyed, oh man, I just laughed. I was laughing inside so hard because I'm not going to let him in. I'm going to wait, wait, wait. Then he knocks again. He's, he's such a pro. Cheech was such a pro because he never broke character, even though I was messing with him and he knew it. <laughs> but he never broke character. And I said, come on, man. Let me. <laughs> The cops, I think the cops are on you. And then, you talk about Lou Adler being uh, the person who took a chance on you to make those albums. He also was instrumental in getting your movie career started as well with Up and yeah. Smoke. Um, yeah. At that time, no studio had done a uh, quote unquote marijuana film like Up and Smoke ever. This was a big risk on Paramount's part. Did they have pushback when they originally saw the first cut of it? Oh, no, not at all. Really? Because, because they, they dropped it all out to us. Lou, 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 Lou was known to be wealthy. And so it was one of those, we're using our own money. You, can just, we'll let, you guys can distribute the movie. That's basically what it was. It's a distribution deal, plain and simple. Oh, no, they had no problem. I was the only one. I was the guy. Really? When I saw the first cut, I, I hated the first cut. You know, in, in fact, I told everybody and, and they listened to me. I said, no, the first cut, the first cut was horrible. The first cut, what they had was all a dream because they had no way of wrapping it up. And the reason they had no way of wrapping it up is that they were writing it. I was a writer. I wrote the thing, you know, and so when they, they just ended it you know it was all a dream that's horrible you know so uh i because they respected all the other actors more than they respected cheech and chong see it was it was a thing about you know cheech and chong who are these guys stacy cage oh you know well, he's a big actor you know and so we should end with stacy you know no no lou no and, that, and so i told lou i said no we got to reshoot this <clears throat> that's when we we split with Lou because Lou said, well, what are we going to do? And I said, I got to direct it myself because you know, I wrote the whole thing, you know, basically, you know, I used stories that Cheech told me and stories that even uh, <clears throat> the girls told me and, you know, and we, we'd put them in the movie as, as they told me the stories we would do. It was a very improvisational movie. You know, the whole movie was like full of little vignettes that, that, we, we gathered together and we just built this this movie as we went. It wasn't built, you know, it was not laid out in paper first and then we shot it. No, we, we built it as we, we we moved along, you know. And it was and and that was it was like reality, you know, it was uh, the first sort of reality show. Because you look at at uh, Up in Smoke today and you can imagine this really happening. You know, it's not fiction. It's not a, a chunk of time. It, it's timeless. This, this, the up and smoke scenes could be going on, uh, you know, as you're watching it, as you're driving home, you know. I mean, they run into all these characters, you know. And so that was, that's 
actually split Boo and I up. <clears throat> and uh, then, it, but it was good because then I went on to direct, write, direct all the rest of the movies. And after those rest of the movies, that's when you and Cheech sort of went your separate ways and you decided to start uh, solo careers of Cheech's solo career and you trying to get into your solo career. Uh, was that a mutual separation? Uh, yeah, more or less. No, what was happening? Life was changing. You know, every seven years we change. Our bodies change, you know, and we became we become different people. And, and, and the up and smoke was like the end of that, that, that stretch. And, but we stretched it through nice dreams and things are tough all over. And, you know, and finally the Corsican brothers, I mean, Cheech really tried hard, uh, but he, he, he was being pulled, you know, away because when, when Cheech and I got together, he always said, I'll, I'll go with you for a while. And that, that's exactly what he said. You know, yeah, I'll, I'll go on your trip for a while. And then, we, we, we just, it was just a natural split. It was the uh, uh, Corsican brothers. Okay. Yeah. Corsican brothers. Because we had, we had signed for three movies, you know, uh, with, uh, with these movie companies. That, that in itself is a funny story because after we did Up in Smoke, we had no career. And then Lou owned Up in Smoke, the title and all that stuff. And so we, we were in court a little bit with Lou and then we finally met this uh, producer, Howard Brown, who got us separated from Lou. You know, he he he, he took over our management, and, and he and then he went out and sold. He, the deal was that if he sold a movie, you know, we'd we'd pay him a nice fee for it. And he not only got us one movie, he got us three movies. <laughs> it was incredible, and and with uh, one with. Uh, uh, Universal, and, and then two with uh, with uh, Columbia, uh, Columbia, and then and then the Corsican brothers came in after that. You know, then we got offered because we were hot as can be, and then that's when uh, uh, Mike Metavoy offered us the Corsican brothers, and 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 then they, he would offer Cheech. Cheech was always at all the parties, and so then. Uh, uh, Metaboy, she told me about it, so I went and met with Metaboy, and you know I'm the guy. I wrote everything, you know. I wrote, and directed, and so then I wanted to do the Corsican Brothers. But Cheech didn't want to do the Corsican Brothers. He and then he he he, he was just balking at everything. He didn't want to do anything, and so we we just that's when we really split was during the Corsican Brothers. That's when he had his own trailer. I had my own. See that 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 was the key. As long as we shared a trailer, you know, that was cool. But the minute we got our own separate trailers, then then you knew something we got our own. Up. Yeah, then, then it split. It was it was it was just sad. It was sad on my part because I lost my 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 muse. You know, my guy. And uh, and after that, I never really, never really found a, a niche. After that, you know, that's when I went back to doing stand up. But I, but it was stand up on my own solo. So it was always a it was a promotion. You know, I always went up, never went back, never went down, went up. They always say that when a duo like yours splits up when they usually split out and they go into their own venue of solo careers. <laughs> 
audience are a little hesitant to accept them the first moment they see them because they're all like always saying, oh, here's Tommy. Where's Cheech? Here's Cheech. Yeah. Where's Tommy? Did you find that? Yeah. No, because Cheech was always in my show. Mm-hmm. I never, I, he was part of my show. Yeah, because I, I, I used to do a little stand-up before Cheech and I did our act. And so it was always, he was always waiting in the wings kind of thing. He was always in my, I, I put him in the show, you know, for sure, because that's who they're, they're thinking of. And, and, and not in the most uh, favorable light, by the way. You know? <laughs> in fact, when we did our reunion, Cheech had been doing Nash Bridges. You know, he, he lost his Cheech chops, totally. You know? yeah. and, and so here we are in, uh, in Aspen, and we got a, you know, we, 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 we hadn't been, we hadn't talked to anything, you know, for years. And all of a sudden we're in Aspen and, and, and teaching, uh, we're, we're doing a, a, you know, a bit. We're on stage together. And so Cheech said, what do you want to do? I said, well, well let's do Harry and Margaret. And, and that's when Cheech dresses up like a woman and, yep. and, uh, and I'm the guy. And, and she said, nah. I don't want to do that. He didn't have any lines. All he had to do was make paces. And he didn't want to do that. And then I realized, man, oh, this is, you know, he's not Cheech. You know, at one time when he was Cheech, and, you know, sniffing each other's butt, no problem, let's do it. Uh, so what I did, because I've been working alone solo, and I had a whole bit about him and Don Johnson. And so when he wouldn't do that, I did my bit about, uh, you know, I, where I sing up in smoke, and, you know, uh, and then I ad lib all the lines about, uh, you know, where we get a, get, uh, go rent a teaching chum tape and get so high you forget you got the tape and you end up watching the Discovery Channel. And you see two shows, you see a show about two frogs bucking, and then you start thinking, gee, Chicks looks funny without a mustache. <laughs> and who's that frog bucking him? I think it's Don Johnson. I'm singing that song, <laughs> Cheech is in the background, pacing up and down. I didn't know, but they told me later that he was just pacing up and down. He, he was like trapped. He didn't know what to do. And, and so, so after that fiasco, <clears throat> um, and then, and then, it, it would it would be months, I think. But Teach had nothing, you know. The movies, everything dried up, and he was really looking for a gig. And so my son had me go up meet with Teach. And the first thing we started do, we started fighting, we started arguing, you know, because I'm trying to, you know, Teach. To this day, you know, if you read his book, you know, there's he, he's just contradicts everything that I say. The thing is about me, I will tell you the truth. Why? Because that's the only thing I can remember, you know, because of, because that's what, the way it is, you know, if it's fiction, that's why Up and Smoke works so well, because everything in that Up and Smoke was real. It wasn't manufactured. This really happened to, to teach all these different things. Now we, we you know, what do you call it? Exaggerated, uh, it. you know, and, and so I've always worked on truth and, and because 
you got no problem with truth. You know, it, 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 it'll either stand on its own or whatever. It'll be embarrassing or whatever, but it's truth. See, see that's, why, that's why Trump got where he is, because he's an unabashed asshole, and he doesn't care who knows it. Yeah. And people respect him for that, you know, uh, except the people that want a real government in there. But that that's the way I've always been, you know. And whereas Cheech... You know, he, he he's an actor. You know, he'll he'll go uh, Don John. He'll be a cop. You know, and he'll say lines that that the the real Cheech would never say. You know, he'll he'll do that because he's an actor. He can become other other characters. You know, and and, and that's what made us so good. It wasn't until we found who we really were. When we found that then we, there was no stopping us, you know, because with me, what you see is what you get. You know, I'm not going to, uh, I can't, you know, and that's why when I act and other, other uh, things, you know, a lot of times they have to put a, a microphone in my ear so I can remember the lines because I can't remember lines, you know, because I'm, I'm so bedded in, in, in reality that I can't all of a sudden recite stuff. I can do it. But if someone else is feeding me the lines, then I can do it. You know. But now, I mean, um, that's yeah. One area I want to talk about before we do get sure. uh, going here, and then it's an area that is sort of personal to me right now because I'm going through somewhat of what you went through. Is your cancer diagnosis uh, in 2003 to 2000, uh, 2003 and 2012, if I'm not mistaken, is when you were diagnosed. I was diagnosed. Yeah, as soon as I got out of prison. Um, and then I was going to go on a, a growth hormone uh, regimen. And uh, in order to do that, you have to get checked out for cancer. And they checked it out and they found I had cancer. I had prostate cancer. And so then uh, I've been dealing with it ever since. So earlier this year, earlier in 2020, I uh, was diagnosed with a brain tumor and I'm going through the process of radiation right now. And uh, uh, I, 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 read, I read an article that you talked about how marijuana helped you during your time of your cancer diagnosis. Sure. How did it help you? Well, what marijuana does, it calms the body. It goes right to the brain. It calms the brain. Uh, the trouble is with humans, or not trouble, but I mean, this is the way we are. We're animals. You know, we come from the animal. Uh, thing. And and there's a fight or flight built into our system if, when danger hits. If danger hits, you either run or you freeze. And when you freeze, your whole body freezes. And when you run, you're in a in escape mode, you see. And so you, the organs don't get to function as they usually function. When your mind is calm, hypnosis will do it. Marijuana does it for me, you know, especially heavy doses. And that's why they put people in medically induced comas. So to take the fright, take the, the fear. In other words, we're computers. And what happens, you turn off the computer. Yeah. You reboot it. And what marijuana does, it reboots the body. It reboots the brain. <clears throat> and when, when the brain's rebooted, then, then all the uh, the organs work the way they're supposed to work, and and your your immune system kicks in, 
and that's that's what cures it. You see, uh, I don't know how it works on because there's other factors involved with with disease. You know, especially uh, uh, well with any disease. You know, uh, but. Here, here, here's what we have to what we have to do as human beings. We have to realize who we are as human beings. You know, we're not just descendants from monkeys. You know, we are uh, eternal beings. You know, we all have everything. Uh, I just read a thing for my my. Uh, brother's wife, my daughter-in-law, you know, um, it's, it's from Emmett Fox. It's, it's called the seven aspects of God. And, uh, just do me a favor, write down Emmett Fox. And, uh, you can get, get any of his books. I got one here. This one's this one's called the the Ten Commandments. Well, what Emmett Fox? He's a spiritualist, and what he does, he explains the Bible, and uh, and he explains it in such a way that that it just it just makes so much sense. And so there's another thing he explains, like I said, the seven aspects of God. And when you realize one of the aspects is called truth. See, they say the truth will set you free. And that's free of disease, you see. And so what happens with your body, if, if you accept the truth and, and that you are an eternal being, which you are, and that your soul is eternal, your spirit is eternal, you see. Your body is, is material. Your body w will dissolve because it's subject to, to, the, to, to the world, to the material world. But your spirit is indestructible. It's always been here. It will always be here. Now, you have to know that. You have to know that, and you have to be reminded of it. The reason we don't is because we're here on a journey to learn. You see, we're all here as human beings to learn. And we learn the, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. Everything is a learning experience, no matter what it is. If you've got a kid that just sits at home and, and, and sits on the couch and watches TV, he's learning. <laughs> he's not doing that. He's, you can't help but learn. Yeah. You know, you're learning experiences and sometimes they're really pleasant. Sometimes they're horrible, but you're learning like like, for instance, you learn when you're a kid, the stove is hot. Don't touch the stove. Eventually you will touch it. And then you will learn. You get a burn. You can learn. You see. So what you learn with through Emmett Fox is who you really are. You see. And once you learn who you really are, then Everything that is a mistake about you, about your perception, it dissolves, it fades away. It can't face the truth. And so what marijuana does for me, now it doesn't, I can't speak for anybody else, but for myself, it 
calms the mind to the point where I, I am reading Emma Fox. I just want to fill my mind with truth, you know. And when you fill your mind with truth, then, then questions are answered. You see, that's what in the Bible it says, seek and ye shall find. The Bible never says, don't worry about it. I'll just give it to you for nothing. You know, it never says that. It says, seek. You have to seek. You shall ask and you shall be answered. See, but if you don't ask, and that's what you learn when you, like in this metaphysical world, when you, when you get this knowledge, the, the, your, your first impulse is to give it to everybody. You want to help everybody. You know, when I first started working out in the gym uh, uh, years ago, uh, I would see someone doing a, a, an exercise the wrong way. And my first instinct, because I was an amateur, would be go over to and, and correct him and say, you're, you're going to hurt yourself. You want better results. Do it this way. Do it that way. Well, the the, the guy that was running the gym, Zabo, who became a very dear friend of mine, he pulled me aside one day. He says, save your breath. Save your breath. Because then when you think about it, the, he never asked. If the guy said to me, hey, how do I do this exercise? Then you help them. But until they ask, don't interfere because they're figuring out for themselves, you know. And so you can't be this Pollyanna that wants to face the world like yourself. You asked me about the, the tumor. So I'm telling you, I'm telling you, uh, this is this is how you do it. Marijuana keeps the mind free, you know, it, it just puts you in the moment. Whatever that moment is, it puts you smack in the moment. And when you're in the moment, you can never be unhappy. I always tell this story about Saddam Hussein, you know, the, the, the tyrant in um, Iraq. Yeah. When he was being executed, he got in the moment. So much so that when someone heckled him, you know, you're going to die. You did all these bad things, blah, 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 you know. And Saddam says, hey, watch. I'm going to show you how a real man dies. <laughs> he got in the moment, Jack. Wow. <laughs> and that's, that's what you have to do. Yeah. You have to realize exactly who you are, you know, spiritually. And... You have to be in the moment. Now, marijuana can do the opposite. If you're not ready, you can smoke up and all of a sudden you get, all, you get paranoid, you get freaked out and everything else. Because <clears throat> obviously you weren't ready for that particular burst. Because being in the moment can be very frightening, scary, you know. That's what I mean, fight or flight. And that's why the marijuana, you, you, you're laughing. You just want to eat. You just want to do something nice. <laughs> you want to <laughs> laugh at something, joke and everything else. You know? And so that's what you want to do. And that's why real humor, you know, uh, when you, the people that are dying, you know, in, in these uh, hospices, you know, uh, they love to be entertained. They love to laugh, you know, and they make fun of themselves. Just like those those old actors, who was it? Uh, uh, Drew Barrymore, uh, John Barrymore, the great actor. Yeah. 
when he died, they, 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 they got his body out of the, the morgue and brought him to the poker game. Because <laughs> he had always beat everybody. And so they brought his body to the poker game. I think W.C. Fields was in on it. Oh, gee. <laughs> they, they had him. And, and they finally beat him at poker because they could look at his card. Oh, John. <laughs> oh, you didn't do very well. <laughs> okay, John's all in. <laughs> uh, see, humor. Yeah, see. Humor. And that's what because I've been what finding. You see, what you realize and this is what you got to realize is that you're an eternal being. Yeah. See, no matter what happens to you, you're not going anywhere. You're just learning. You're learning. So right now you're learning what it's like to have a tumor. You see, and that's what I did with, with, with my cancer. You know, uh, I just, uh, you know, sure. I went to the, the, the doctors and that, and they did a biopsy on me and they gave me rectal cancer. <laughs> the biopsy, you shouldn't do a, You shouldn't do a biopsy if you got, prostate because what happens what they do they take a little piece of your prostate but when they take it out these cancer cells are are minuscule you you know they're invisible and so so as they taken it out it 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 infected my the rectum and so the good news is there good news with rectal cancer yeah the good news is when they operate it and radiate it the rectum because they were just going to leave the prostate alone they're just going to say oh you know it's slow working and what it is they're lazy they don't want to bother with it it's slow working uh you'll die of something else before that kills you that's not really you know it's like uh you know the doctor now saying the herd immunity so what they did when they took out the tumor and i got the best doctor that's the other thing you got to get the best of the best doctors to deal which i think i have and then and then listen to whatever he says do whatever he says but the main thing is is that i always look at everything that happens to you as a learning experience that's going to make you better in a lot of other areas you know that you that you weren't aware of well like right now right now because now you're faced with mortality you have to uh get a lot of stuff done that, that you've been putting off and now you're getting, getting it done. Then you have to, that's, that's the whole point of the, this is the learning experience that yeah. I'm talking about. But if you want to, if you want to cure it, yeah. And you want to try uh, the marijuana? Yeah. Yeah. You get the, <clears throat> there again, Google, get the best, get the best knowledge. You know, it's not me. You know, I, I have, no fucking clue. Uh, I, I try to grow some pot on my roof, and I, I know better. <laughs> and I cut it down, and I didn't hang them up to dry. I just left them in the baggie, and I ruined the whole crop. I ruined it because of my ignorance. But yeah. that's what that's what I suggest to anybody when they ask me for advice. You know, I tell them what marijuana does. You know, it it it, it uh, calms the mind. And, and that's basically all, uh, all that I know, you know, because I don't know the, the circumstances or whatever. But the main thing, because you have the ability, you know, we have the phone, you know, <laughs> look at, I always do that. I always look for my phone and, look at her, <laughs> and, and you're talking into it. it. <laughs> but you have that and use it, use it. You know, become an expert on, on that tumor of yours. Oh, and, I, and eventually, I have been. 
Well, good for you. Good for yeah. you. And then read, read Emmett Fox. Yeah, I'm going read to. I'm always interested read in reading a new book. Read Emmett Fox. Enjoy Emmett Fox. He's funny. He makes me laugh. My, oh, here's another trick. Um, my daughters, you know, I had two older daughters from uh, the first marriage. Yep. <clears throat> and then I got my gorgeous wife and my three kids with her. Well, there's always been that little daddy, daddy left us, you know. And so I connected with my, when I have my operation, this is good news. When I had my operation, uh, I had my daughters come over and read, read to me from Emmett and from uh, Joel Goldsmith, uh, read to me. And, oh man, it was such a, Oh, I just hit on it. Of course, you know, I, I'm, I'm ordained. Like I say, I'm, I'm surrounded by by the, the good spirits. And what they did, here's what happened. When I had my daughters read to me, it affected them as much as it had affected me. And next thing I know, my daughters, both of them, their their lives are just, 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 moving in the so in the right direction especially right on next thing you know she's with a guy that loves her she loves him all these miracles see miracles happen when you put your mind on god then these miracles they come out of all everywhere and they just show up because that's our our natural state of being is to acknowledge our maker to acknowledge him. That's really, that's why I went to, when I went to jail, I, I kinda, I was looking forward to it. I was not looking forward to the sadness that it created with my wife, you know, when she had to drop me off at, at jail and, and I, I walked through the, the doors, you know, that, the sad part was her because you know, her, her guy is being taken away. The good part was that she she made more money with me in jail than than, than, than I did the whole time I was with her. <laughs> so that there's always a good good news, but but what happens when when you find God? Yeah, you open the. Open sesame, you know, the, the, all the riches, all the riches of the world are at your disposal. And you know what the riches are? It's knowledge. That's the rich. You asked me about writing and reading. See, when I write, I, I channel. I channel. It's not me. It's, it's the, my spirit. You know, that's what's writing. And, the, and that's why I'm on call 24-7. If I get that urge, boom, I write. I, went, I was in Milwaukee one time, and I wrote a whole huge thing. Uh, just while I was sitting, I forget what, even what I was waiting for. Oh, we, were, we had a gig. And, and, and anyway, I went somewhere, and I'm just sitting there, and nothing to do. And next thing you know, boom inspiration so then i just wrote wrote away but that's enjoy man in, in, enjoy your life i will um your royal highness tommy chung i want to thank you so much for doing this 
This has been a pleasure of my life to talk with you, to talk to a fellow Calgarian. Um, it's been an honor and I appreciate your kind words there and your words of wisdom to pick up Emmett Fox. So thank you so much. Okay. My pleasure, man. Thank you once again for listening to the Cross Border Interview Podcast. If you love this episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast, head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. All the links to our social media accounts are in the show notes or visit www.crossborderinterviews.ca. The Cross Border Interview Podcast was produced and edited by Miranda Brown and Associates Incorporated. Be sure to tune in for our next episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. Once again, thank you. Whoa!